Hi, everyone. This is Connor Gilsonen, and you're listening to the All Things Auth podcast. On this show, I talk to creators, researchers, founders, and advocates who are moving the ball forward on usable security and privacy. We discuss how they got to where they are today and what they're currently working on. Who are they trying to help and what keeps them motivated to overcome challenges along the way? The goal, as always, is for the rest of us to learn from their experiences and go on to promote usable security and privacy within our own projects and organizations. Joining me today is Connor Patrick, co-founder of SoloKeys, a company whose product of the same name is an open source hardware security key for two-factor authentication. During our conversation, Connor explains what security keys are and why they provide a stronger level of security than other methods of two-factor authentication. He shares the story about how he created and sold his first open source security key on Amazon while he was an undergraduate studying computer engineering, and how that project evolved into a wildly successful Kickstarter project that launched SoloKeys the company. Towards the end of our conversation, Connor shares his thoughts on the recent trend of using phones as security keys and also highlights the next exciting product that he and his team are working on right now. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. All right, Connor, well, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Definitely. So uh, first question right off the bat to give members of our audience who are not nearly as focused on two-factor authentication as you and I are, uh, SoloKeys is this open source hardware security key. And for people who don't have context what that is, can you tell us a little bit about what SoloKeys are and how they fit into the larger ecosystem of two-factor authentication? Uh, yeah, totally. So I'm sure most people are familiar with like websites kind of like enforcing them to enable two-factor auth or they have to get like text codes or authentication codes. Um, Solo is kind of one of the options that you can use on a lot of websites. It implements uh, these protocols that fall under this WebAuthn web spec, like FIDO2 and U2F, which kind of like spec out how a security key should talk to the browser and how the browser should implement an interface for the website to use, basically. Um, and the nice thing about FIDO and U2F really is it's a lot more phishing resistant than other options like like texting codes and OTP codes. A phishing site can relatively easy like man in the middle of those and still trick you into entering those codes in. Whereas with a security key, even if you do get tricked, it's not going to be able to generate a, a valid credential for a, for a fake website. And so that is uh, something that is part of the web authentication specification, right? This, this phishing resistance that is afforded with solo keys and other security keys following the web authentic spec versus right. other methods of two-factor. You mentioned receiving a text over SMS. Um, there's authenticators on your phone that might um, generate a six-digit code, for example. Right, right. And then also you could receive a push notification depending on which service you might be using. So those are some other methods of two-factor. And web authentication that you mentioned is one that is natively resistant to phishing attacks. Right, right. Uh, so that's great. And is is this 
fishing resistance really that important? Um, you know, is there a, a motivation that had you focus on web authn as an area of two factor that you wanted to work in? Um, well, I think for like web authn and, and Fido, the whole account security and phishing resistance is probably like the number one most important thing. And it's definitely what's had the most like impact. I think Google published probably one of the most cited studies is that since they've kind of implemented these or um, sent out these U2F FIDO keys to their employees, they've had literally like, like zero account takeovers. Not really sure what they were facing before. Uh, mm -hmm. For me personally, I got started, um, I first started looking into this when I was in undergrad. Um, I kind of just wanted to learn about how these keys worked and wanted to make one just to like have educational value. And then it just, just kind of grew from there. Yeah. So it's going to be really fantastic having our conversation today. Uh, my background being in software, the last time I've worked with hardware in any real capacity was all the way back in university for myself. And so talking with someone oh, like you who yeah. has a really rich background in hardware and actually building these physical security keys. Um, to me, a lot of it is going to be incredibly educational. So you mentioned that you mm -hmm. got interested in, um, in undergrad. Uh, what was your degree? Did you have experience with hardware previously? Uh, no. Yeah. Going into undergrad, I basically knew nothing and then just got involved with like some labs and really like, learned a ton. My degree was computer engineering, which is kind of like electrical engineering and computer science. Combined. Okay. Yeah. Great. And then uh, you said you started playing with uh, trying to make a security key. Is this something that uh, was successful? I know um, the precursor to solo keys, uh, you actually ended up creating and selling a security key called U2F0 on Amazon, was that something that started in undergrad? How'd that come about? Uh, yeah, yeah, so that was that was basically it. Um, really started, I, I went to DevCon in Las Vegas for the first time. I met a representative from Yubico and he was handing out YubiKeys and um, ironically, that, that's what started it because I started like looking into like all the protocols that YubiKeys support. Mm -hmm. and, and for those who yeah. aren't familiar, um, is what is YubiKey? Can you just give some quick context? Yubico is kind of the uh, main company that produces and sells uh, uh, security keys. Um, they mostly get a lot of their business from selling security keys to uh, businesses and security professionals. Mm -hmm. yeah, look them up and buy their keys as well. Yeah, definitely. There, yeah. There's a bunch of competitors and uh, solo keys is one, one among many, but starting off strong. And so uh, you had mentioned that you, you met someone from Yubikey and started looking into this more seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess as a student, I wondered how I could like make my own and U2F being in like completely standardized was like the best, like best thing to, to jump on. So eventually I just made my own key U2F zero, um, designed the hardware, programmed it and kind of after it, it was all working, I wanted to, do, do like a little bit more. And so I invested like some of my own money to get a production, get a, get a whole bunch made. 
mm -hmm. China for as cheap as possible because being a student, you don't really have much <laughs> that you can you can dish out to invest. And uh, ship the batch to to Amazon and wrote a blog about it and see if see how many I could sell, see if I could make a make a nice side gig out of it. Yeah, and so <laughs> that's a that's a fantastic story and. Uh, the the arc there i'm sure took significantly more time than uh you're letting on and the the blog post certainly we'll link to in the show notes um you go into some background and talk about some of the challenges and experience you had in actually creating the u2f0 um i mean was this a personal curiosity that drove you to start playing around with this in in the beginning was it a class project? Uh, how did it come about? And what are some of the, you know, technical challenges that you had in actually creating your working prototype? Yeah, there was no uh, like class involvement. It was purely just out of my own interest and in wanting to kind of like learn from it. Um, I hadn't really like made any like physical hardware device before, and so there's a challenge in like learning like best practices and doing that. I think like the first, I've actually like made made like a few kind of like iterating on the on the design, and the first few ones I made were pretty pretty terrible, pretty pretty awful looking. I think I have some 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 photos in on my blog. I think the the main challenge with making a security key is actually getting like a good microcontroller. Like you don't want to just like like you, you very well could just grab an Arduino, code it up on the Arduino, and and then it works, but that's not necessarily like the best design, right? You want to pick a microcontroller that has security features. And there certainly are quite a lot of secure microcontrollers on the market. The hard part for a person like me is actually getting hold of one that you can get a hold of without signing an NDA and having this big rep reputation that the, the manufacturer can trust when actually sell to you because most secure microcontrollers are used for like government ID or banks or, or very large companies or telco or SIM cards. And they're not going to be interested in like, like uh, make, making our, our Arduino or something out of it. So these companies yeah. that, that make these uh, microprocessors available, are they very restrictive in who they'll sell to? Like they might not even sell to you as a hobbyist or a student or a startup. They're looking for some kind of qualifications for the people that they're sending hardware to. Yeah, totally. So I don't know what, what the exact like numbers are, but you would have to, you know, order like a million units per year. Mm. And then your use case for those units has to be just like, be justified typically like a some sort of like high security use case like government id or like credit cards or something like that uh, maybe a yeah. little out of reach I, I for a college student yeah <laughs> yeah so i mean that that is changing now and, and there is like a way to use those kind of secure microcontrollers it's typically like you go the java smart card route but that has other hurdles and pitfalls that i decided not not to use uh java smart cards um but i think kind of with like the advent of iot and trying to make iot secure um we are seeing like more secure microcontrollers that you can buy openly and see the data sheet for pop up so mm -hmm. that's pretty nice 
Yeah. And so mm-hmm. um, one of the things that first caught my eye about solo keys, um, you know, I want to get to the really successful Kickstarter project you guys had yeah. a little later on in the story, but it was the first security key that I had seen that was open source. And, right. you know, I've, I've purchased uh, YubiKeys in the past. You mentioned them as one of the incumbents in the uh, security key space as a competitor. And, um, you know, they're closed source, but they worked very well for me. And as someone who's less familiar with hardware coming from the software background, can you talk a little bit about the benefit that you see of having open source hardware and uh, some of the things you were thinking about when you were creating U2F0 and making it publicly available on GitHub? Uh, yeah, I suppose there's a, a couple things. Um, one, obviously like having like an open source project is really nice to like help anyone that's working on something similar if they want like some sort of reference for maybe another security key that they wanna make, it then makes it a lot easier for them to take a look, maybe they'll contribute to your project and you kind of get like, in theory, hopefully get some like free features and you don't have to like uh, reinvent that on your own. Um, so kind of know, crowdsourcing maybe a little a little bit of yeah. input from people who have the similar skill set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, if there's like a bug or some problem or a new feature that you want to add later on, you don't have to like make another key. Like I know with Yubico each with like Fido 2, they basically have to make another key. They can't reuse any of their older keys, which I'm, I'm sure they're all very capable of running Fido 2, but they need to basically release a new hardware model. But if it's open source and you're able to like update it remotely, then um, that, that solves that problem. So from a, like, a, like a smaller company that can't afford to like release new hardware revisions on a quick basis, open source uh, definitely helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you had mentioned benefit of open source uh, to get some input from people in the community who might be interested in contributing their time to a project. Uh, the benefit of um, being able to construct your own key Right. Um, and then also uh, you talked a little bit about the ability to remotely update the uh, firmware, I assume. Is that correct? The firmware that you update yeah, in order yeah. to add new functionality? Right. Uh, so digging a little bit into each of those, um, the contributions from people in the community, is that something that worked out for the U2F0 project that you started? I know a lot of people who start open source projects might have um, difficulties, uh, gaining traction or actually getting contributions, but U2F0, I think was a bit of a different circumstance. Can you talk about how other people might or might not have contributed to the project? Uh, yeah, like, I don't think we had any like long-term contributors. There's mostly people that swing by or interested in like see some problems and add their, add their improvements. Um, I think some of the like easier pull requests was with the actual like hardware layout, like making it more nice looking, making it use like parts that are easier for people to solder so they can make their own, um, things like that. We got some pull requests for like, uh, like improving the code generally, like cleaning it up, making it, fixing bugs, making it a little bit more uh, secure, if you will. There wasn't any room, unfortunately, 
with U2F0 to add like more features to it. That was kind of like the big one of the biggest problems with it is that you know I designed it to be as as cheap as possible, and so like all the memory on the microcontroller was completely used up. Um, it was this kind of old microcontroller that you couldn't like use a normal compiler for, so the environment for it was kind of crappy. Um, so it wasn't really really good at like fostering like kind of like this more long-term um, development for like new features. Mm-hmm. And so that, w- that was definitely like one of the main things I wanted to fix with, with, uh, with, with Solo. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I definitely want to hear about a lot of the improvements uh, from U2F0 to the full Solo project. Um, but mm-hmm. one of the last things I want to touch on with uh, U2F0 is uh, you did mention that people could build their own. And as someone, uh, you know, not skilled in hardware, I'll say, the concept of building your own key is really exciting. And you actually had very detailed instructions on the GitHub project in the wiki, yep. actually showing people how to build these keys. And yep. a lot of people shared photos back of, of the keys that they made. Oh yeah, uh, is that something that you had expected to get a little bit of traction to see people uh, reacting positively and actually constructing their own keys? Uh, yeah, there was definitely more people that actually went through and made their own. That definitely surprised me. Um, even like every once in a while, like I'll I'll get a notification that someone like ordered <laughs> ordered the PCBs from one of the uh, prototype PCB manufacturers and so it, it's still going on to some extent but yeah there's a number of people that um like ordered the materials and soldered up a bunch and handed out handed them out to attendees at conferences that they organized there's people that ordered like basically like hundreds of tokens for me directly to hand out to their uh conferences conference attendees so conference conferences was a pretty popular use case and then there's a number of individuals that just wanted to make it for their own basically very but exciting. yeah I, i'm always i always get really excited when people send me send me photos of things that they're doing even if, especially if they made their own yeah and so you had welcome. mentioned that uh, you know cost was a focus for your design and yeah. How much would it cost someone to construct their own U2F0 and how much did it cost you to do it? And uh, was this something that actually returned a little bit from your sales on Amazon? Was it worth your time? Uh, <laughs> well, assuming my time is free, I think, yeah, <laughs> it, did, it did return. It did cover my costs uh, for sure. I think if you were going to make like one U2F0, it would cost... Uh, well, you can't really like buy PCBs for like one unit. So maybe if you were to like order like five to 10 and make like five to 10, you know, it, it would cost around like $5 each. So total, you're looking to spend maybe like $50 to order the parts and the PCBs and like with the shipping included. Mm-hmm. And ideally you already have like the soldering iron and, and the hacker tools to make it work. And if you don't, you gotta, you gotta acquire those. So. It, it may it may add up depending on like what your uh, capabilities are, but uh, I don't know. I'd say like compared to like other projects that you if you were to like make on your own, it's it's pretty cheap. And I guess you had yeah. some uh, 
costs that were distributed over the, the number you ended up selling. Um, right. You ended up selling uh, several thousand UTF zeros. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Around like five, 5,000 to date. Or Fantastic. Yeah. And so you, you mentioned, yeah. of course, UTF zero is the project that you started working on in college and graduate school and has since grown into uh, solo keys. So can yeah. you talk a little bit about, um, the journey from U2F0, this open source project that you started and worked on as, um, I guess, more of a side project, and how that's morphed into a uh, fully established company that I believe you're spending all of your time on these days. Is that right? Uh, more or less, yeah. So I guess like U2F0 is kind of not its own company and that doesn't really like doesn't really like cover my time like it provides like some income to cover the costs and then like you know it's, it's like on the order of like a few thousand dollars per year of profit that you get and then who knows how much time that i actually spent on it um but it, it's always been on like my mind to like kind of like fix like all the problems and like prove on it um and people just kind of would quite regularly like reach out to me and kind of like ask about when improvements are going to happen or like potential collaborations um and so that kind of just got me thinking i started kind of like looking at this new fido 2 spec that had come out which was kind of like the the real like serious upgrade to u2f and to provide this passwordless experience for uh, websites and so i kind of like started working on the, the the code for that not not designing any hardware yet just kind of like uh, making a implementation of it and um that's when i met um i guess one of my other co-founders he works at um works at pinterest he works in their security department he implemented two-factor off for, for pinterest actually okay and great he, he also was like somebody just kind of got interested in like making his own uh, authenticators. Ha having, having like been on like the other side, like deploying it for, for a company basically just kind of got interested in like making his own. I think he was kind of more interested in like kind of the wearable side, but he came across like the work I had done and just kind of like reached out, maybe like we'd be interested in collaborating. And we, we traded a lot of thoughts and eventually decided like, okay, maybe, Maybe we'll uh, run like a crowdfunding campaign, see where it goes. <laughs> um, and that's where the Kickstarter project came about. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's where it kind of so, like started growing. <laughs> so the Kickstarter project was how I came across Solo Keys. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was a, at least from the outside, I'm looking forward to get the inside story, but it was an incredibly successful Kickstarter where you were looking to raise $5,000 and you ended up raising $125,000. So that's quite a bit more. And <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about what the what the th actual thought process was for the Kickstarter? Was it something you thought maybe you could get some money and just put some keys out in a similar fashion to U2F0 like you've done in the past? Um, or did you expect that it really uh, might have more legs and could eventually turn into a full-time company? Um, yeah, so I think kind of like the initial goal was 
like rather than putting our own money <laughs> into this production and then hoping it like works out kind of use crowdfunding as kind of like this quote unquote easy way to do that to, to get funds that you can use for the production and then i ideally you can kind of uh make this self-sustaining so you ship your ship your units to your distributor supply gets low make another run and then like the you know creators like myself can kind of sit back and work on improvements and um it, it should be a lot easier than what i was doing for with a u2f0 at least that, that that's the thought mm -hmm. um for kick, kickstarter we set our goal like a bit low with five thousand dollars and we're kind of hoping to overshoot it like at least a little bit hopefully we're hoping to at least like double or triple the five thousand um and that would be like kind of just enough to um fun for like the PCBs and getting a nice case and make like a nice looking like finished consumer product. Whereas U2F0 was just like the bare PCB and it would, it would break if you used it <laughs> regularly or carried it around in your pocket. So something wanted, a little more durable, yes. a little more, um, yeah. you know, full-time finished product focus. Yeah. Something that you could rely on would be uh, a lot more robust. And of course supports FIDO2 and, and uh, U2F. Um, uh, we ended up raising a lot more, a lot more than what we expected. So, um, that that's, that's both good and bad. It most, mostly good. Very happy that like we raised what we did and, um, were able to produce a lot more keys than what we were initially planning to do. Um, I guess the kind of like the bad part was the fulfillment. We we're planning to just do it like all on our own, just to like, it's a little little less risky if, if um, problems come up if we're doing the fulfillment we can kind of like handle it on our own mm -hmm. um i guess if we're working with on the order of like 10 to 20k worth of keys like it's not too bad um a hundred if we're working with over 100k worth of keys it's like a huge pain in the ass <laughs> we had to hire like uh day laborers to basically and um over the course of like a few days worth of just like shipping from my like packaging and, and placing in, in my living room. Probably so like your living like, room turns into a temporary factory yeah, to yeah. get these things together and categorized and, and I guess shipped out to the Kickstarter backers. Right. Yeah. It took like just for the fulfillment alone, it took like over 80 man hours <laughs> to do a lot, a lot more than I expected. Huge. And is, is this something that fell on um, you? You mentioned that you had some other people working with you. Did you have at this point in the story um, other co-founders working with you? Yeah. Or was it just the the one co-founder yeah. from Pinterest? Yeah, it was it was all four of us at this point. So, um, actually, previously I first met um, uh, Nicholas, who's also one of our co-founders. He was he's been around since I was working on U2F Zero. He's kind of he saw the work and he just really liked the idea of it and liked the look of it. And um, he started helping actually um, with distributing U2F0 in Europe. So basically I, I would send him tokens and he set up his own like website for fulfilling European orders. And he just did that from, from his house. And um, he, he was more interested in kind of like working on the revamp project. And so he was 
we uh, <laughs> recruited him pretty easily for for solo. So that was great. And uh, our um, our fourth co-founder is actually my my brother, Aiden. He's um, he uh, kind of near retirement, working for the Navy. He's in business school right now, and so his interest for kind of like um, getting involved in some entrepreneurial projects was pretty high. And so he was pretty interested in helping out as well. So definitely, definitely recruited him and he helps a lot. Yeah. It sounds like definitely a variety of skills on a team, which, mm -hmm. you know, I think you might need to be successful having uh, different focuses. So that's exciting to hear. Yep. Uh, so going a little bit back to one thing you had mentioned about U2F0 that of course, there's a lot of improvements you wanted to make, and those motivated the Solo Keys Kickstarter. Um, what are some of the specific things that weren't working correctly in U2F0 or that you really wanted to add to Solo Keys? The big one that I've heard is support for FIDO2, which is the uh, formalized version of this web authentication spec that's supported now in all the major browsers. Yep. Was that the real driving um, feature or motivation, or were there other things as well that were getting you excited about improving upon U2F0? Uh, yeah, ours uh, uh, definitely multiple things. I think three, three major things. So one, kind of making a platform that has a lot more memory and capabilities that you can add more features to, and that's really great to have for an open source project, basically, so that has room to to grow. It doesn't like become a lot more difficult all of a sudden because your platform is all out of memory; it can't fit anything else, like with U2F0. So that that would be kind of sad. And yeah, the the number one feature to to add is FIDO2, and there's still some other features that we're looking to add um, uh, currently as well. Uh, next biggest reason is kind of like the robustness. A lot of people that, you know, actually use U2F0 kind of as like their daily security token would carry it around. It would eventually like break, the button would pop off or or uh, the the actual circuit would get weathered down and just, just fail. And so investing a little bit more into the robustness is definitely important. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. robustness is an interesting one. And if my if the button on my on my security key popped off, I can certainly see how that would be, uh, let's say, a problem. <laughs> and is of course this will depend uh, service by service. But in a scenario like that, if if it were to happen to somebody, is that a scenario where they might be able to lock themselves out of their account? Is there a way to? continue having that security key function or could it break in certain ways that it, it would be permanently not usable? Well, in the case of the button, you could like kind of find some hacky workaround, either like resolder on another button or find something metal and like short contacts and that would count as a button press. But if it's just totally broken, then it could make getting into your account kind of hard, I think. At the time, though, U2F was still kind of experimental, that there weren't any actual services that would let you use U2F, a U2F key as your only two-factor auth option. So you would always have to use some other backup method, whether backup codes or using uh, like some, some number code you get from your phone. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and generally that's uh, really good advice. Even if you have a really robust key that you don't think will break, you might lose it or you might be in a situation where you don't have it. And so having a way to get into your account is really a, a, a big challenge. Kind of the conventional advice is to have multiple factors, register multiple keys that you would have in different different places. Or if you lose one, you can always use a different key. Yeah, yeah I, I certainly couldn't agree more. And talking about registering multiple keys to have one as primary and one as a backup, uh, potentially more, depending on your threat model or your your specific context. Right. One of the things that really struck me about the solo project as well is something that is seemingly so simple, and yet I hadn't seen many other security keys getting this right. And it was the fact that you were offering um, cases to go on the solo key, and these cases were colored. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've purchased uh, many keys from YubiKey in the past. Uh, they were all blue, for example. And so, in this scenario you just talked about, where, you know, maybe um, my keys get stolen or I lose them somewhere and my primary security key is gone, I now have a backup, but I need to know which key to revoke from my service to indicate that I've lost it and it should no longer work for someone logging into my account. I ended up using a permanent marker to write on them, like primary backup. And yeah, that works. <laughs> the fact that solo keys um, had this really straightforward solution of providing colors, I can now register the red red solo key or the blue solo key. And mm-hmm. um, are there other uh, usability motivations that you guys have had when focusing on solo keys is color something that had been a a frustration for you as well compared to the other competitors that were already on the market? Uh, Yeah, it's it's just something that we like wanted to do. We thought it like, it looked nice. Um, Basically um, we're we're all big fans of like having different colors and multiple color support. And I think the most concrete use case is being able to tell your different keys apart for sure. Uh, I think one of the, features like leveraging color going forward, at least I want to try out. I don't know if this will be a good idea yet, but I think it would be is to like make colors that are kind of like a swirl. So maybe like a swirl of like uh, black and red. So like when the key gets molded or when the case gets molded, like multiple dyes are mixed together. And so each key would be actually be like unique. So I think that would be kind of neat. I don't, yeah, uh, yeah. But other like use usability things that we've done, um, I know I don't know if this was <laughs> this was ended up being successful, but like <laughs> while designing the key, I actually put a lot of work in like trying to u- find a mechanical button that would be really robust. Because I, I personally like really liked having uh, like a button that you could press and you get feedback, and so you you know it was pressed. There's a kind of like tactile feeling, mm-hmm. and you two have zero at the same thing, except the button would break. Um, so I put a lot of work into like sourcing like this metal dome. So it's like really flat and really low profile. And yet it gives a really nice like tactile click when you press it. And um, I did, I did find a pretty, pretty nice option. I think the main problem though, is that um, when you stick this into uh, a USB socket and you put this mechanical force on the top, you're kind of like applying this torque in the, in the socket. And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a number of people complain about that. 
And so kind of relooking at that, I'm not sure if having that mechanical feedback, like, like it would be nice if you could have that without actually applying any force at the top. Um, so we may, we may be switching to use a capacitor touch to solve this uh, torque issue people are complaining about. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I don't know, <laughs> call that a usability fail maybe. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's um, trial and error as yeah. a part of getting to to any right. thing yeah. that works and designing something that works for every context, of course, can be challenging. So right. it's good to see reacting to feedback and, and making changes. Mm -hmm. And in terms of feedback, is this something that people who have purchased solo keys have been um, happy to share or has it been a struggle to hear how they're being received, how they're being used? How has the reception been from the Kickstarter project and actually getting them into the hands of people? A lot of the a lot of the feedback um, has been pretty good, at least from the people that, that reach out um, and tell us how like most of the people that are like kind of the uh, um, the 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 first the first people to kind of like start using like Fido and U2F, like they really like solo keys, and so we're really happy to hear all the things that that people say. Um, like we have received like some like negative feedback on like uh like our usb connector some, our usb-c connector isn't as strong feeling as it, as it should be and like the torque button with the with the issue is the two like main things that we're working on improving uh mm -hmm. we've also received a number of other like negative feedback but that's kind of like related to like logistics with kickstarter and delays and so we don't really kind of <laughs> Working, working, working as quickly as we can to like get pledges delivered to everyone. Yeah, but, certainly. So yeah, maybe digging into that a little bit, what are some of the challenges that you've had actually making a physical hardware product at um, such a scale? Um, what are some of the specific challenges and um, what have you changed along the way to either make things a more secure, more robust, or easier for you to actually get these produced and delivered? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, so our Kickstarter was is kind of a segmented in that we've delivered all of our USB-only keys to all of our backers. And our NFC models, which have NFC and USB, are almost finished with production, and then we'll be send those out to the rest of our backers, and then we'll officially be done with Kickstarter, finally. Um, so for, for, for kind of like our first batch, which is the USB tokens, um, I did a lot of searching for contract manufacturers that would be a good fit. So people that can make it um, pretty affordably and have pretty good, like have enough time to be able to fit us in and be able to communicate clearly so that they, there aren't any mistakes. And so being able to find a good partner for that took up some time. I looked a lot in the, the US, but uh, like unfortunately, like at least right now, there aren't really any good CMs that be that can that are specialized enough to make small products, small consumer products like that for uh, an affordable price. A lot of the contract manufacturers are for like kind of like smaller volume, higher cost projects. A lot of them like are geared towards like defense. And so there's not a lot of good options. We made for first one, we made it in, in China, in Shenzhen, Hong Kong, 
and working with them was was great. I mean, besides like the time time zone difference, um, they're really great at communicating, uh, like technical requirements, providing status updates, giving you photos, and so all of that was uh, really great. I mean, to this day, I'm still like kind of amazed just thinking like you can make this large scale like hover product and then not even need to visit the factory. It can all be done remotely, which is what um, we did. Um, for, for later batches, we ended up moving our production to Italy, actually. Um, and we, I mean, although like the contract manufacturer I worked with in Sension was great, um, we had some potential like security issues making like, like facing your security key production in, in China. Like there, we have some customers that would have concerns with that. Um, also, there's like kind of like extra added costs with like China's VAT. And um, and then most of our markets like in the EU, they'd have to pay VAT on the keys that they import from China. And so it made a lot more sense to just like switch, switch earlier than later to a European country. Mm -hmm. So we found another contract manufacturer in Italy and they, um, they've been great. Um, so like how, how it's set up now is they're familiar with our process. We have a testing procedure. So after they make the keys, they test to make sure that they, they work. Um, we log that, they package it, they put them in boxes that um, where everything and all, all the units are already labeled so that those can go straight to our distributors and we don't need to like really involved oh, really that's like the holy grail is to not <laughs> to have your products being made and getting sent to distributors and consumers you don't need to like be physically anywhere and that's pretty much where we're where we're at right now and so <laughs> we're, we're we're almost we're almost over like all the all the bootstrapping hurdles for making a new product i guess yeah well it's certainly uh, exciting to see everything come to fruition. And you mentioned that this will wrap up mm -hmm. the Kickstarter and moving forward. Uh, if someone wanted to get a solo key, would they go to solokeys.com? You have a store there? Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, anyone can make an order on our website. They can go to Amazon, order it from there. Uh, we also have a couple of distributors in Germany to make it easier for people buying from Europe. Um, we're hoping to kind of expand our distributor list to make it easier for people from other different parts of the world to be able to to order and not have to pay like high taxes or shipping costs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned about the testing procedure for these keys coming mm -hmm. out of the contract manufacturer, um, what does that testing procedure include? And uh, is there a way that someone can verify that the key they're receiving actually uh, is constructed in the way that you intended according to the design. I assume that the hardware being open source will facilitate that in some way. And can you talk about um, that? And also if there's some way for people to interact with the software? I know that part of the Kickstarter, you offered a hacker version of yeah. the key. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, totally. Um... So yeah, the hardware is open source. So you could just to verify that the hardware is what it should be. You can just kind of like look at images on our, our GitHub repo pretty quickly compare like, yeah, that's, that's right. Um, 
it's pretty simple, like two layer PCB, and there's only like 10 or so components. So it's, it's pretty easy to, to visually confirm that it is what it should be. Um, our testing procedure that are contract manufacturers, so we have some software that, that I wrote and they use, and they basically just run it on a laptop. And so after the keys have been uh, soldered, a worker will basically plug it into the laptop and the software has some like very basic visuals for what's going on. It'll run like a number of tests. For some tests, they'll have to push the button on the key. And if all tests pass, then uh, that, that's it. Um, if, a, if a consumer wants to verify that the firmware is actually genuine, we um, during the testing or programming procedure the, or contract manufacturer does, uh, uh, basically a secret key called the attestation key is loaded on the on the device. Um, so this is something that that we keep secret. And during the registration phase, so when you add a security key to your account, either if you use FIDO2 or U2F, uh, this attestation key will actually sign that your your registration publicly that gets returned to the website. And the certificate is uh, given back. So this this can kind of be used to verify that this the firmware that we've distributed on these devices are is it, something that we've um, produced. Okay. And the the software that you wrote on the uh, running on the laptop at mm -hmm. the contract manufacturer is the laptop there the device that is protecting this um, private key or is this something that um does work in some other way like at the end of the day are you trusting the contract manufacturer as well i assume in some capacity you are right yeah yeah so like this is kind of like one of the <laughs> one of the one of the reasons we kind of decided to switch out of like china is that at least for now, we have to trust our contract manufacturer to uh, keep these uh, testation keys uh, secret. We haven't, we're not quite ready to make a zero trust manufacturing floor. So your manufacturer could be like totally averse and, and maybe you can still trust them to make your device. We're not quite um, there yet. That's pretty hard <laughs> to like guarantee. Um, but in the future, we're hoping to to improve that, <laughs> or maybe like make our own like I don't know, <laughs> either make our own um, do everything the contract manufacturers in our own facility, which we don't really have funding enough funding for, or design the process in a better way that we don't need to trust the contract manufacturer. But mm -hmm. sure, right now we have a contract manufacturer that. We do trust. <laughs> so great, yeah, definitely. And uh, in terms of this firmware, I know uh, the ability to update it is something you mentioned during our conversation. And as one of the backers of the Kickstarter, I received an email saying that uh, there was uh, essentially some small bugs and that there was a firmware update. And to uh, head to the website, follow the instructions, and I could be able to update the firmware of my keys, which um, I have done. Can you talk a little bit about what some of those bugs were and how the process of updating the firmware actually works? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the bugs, uh, there's nothing 
big. I think like a couple of them was like returning the wrong error code in this kind of important case in the protocol where the browser checks to see if keys are already registered. And so if a user already had a key registered, it would, the, the uh, solo would return like the wrong error code and this would like catch up some browsers. Whereas it, 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 it wasn't a problem before until like Chrome like updated their implementation and it became a problem. Um, I think another problem was like, there's this counter variable, this non-volatile counter that counts for every time you use your key. And I, I got the endiness for the, the counter wrong. And so it would count up from like, like, like 1 billion, 2 billion or whatever, like the upper byte of the, of this counter integer would, would count. And so it would be good for like the first 255, 256 times, and then it would, it would go down, right? Um, so some implementations would either ignore the counter, and in which case it didn't matter. Um, I know for like Google accounts, it would check the counter, and so your key would just like magically stop working. And so that was a, a kind of a, that, that problem was kind of hard because then it wasn't like people could update their keys and then still use it normally. They had to re-register on their accounts. So that one was, uh, I see. That one was uh, kind of the big one. Um, yeah. But even in that situation, needing to re-register this ability to update the firmware and solve these problems uh, remotely, like you've said in the past, is this something that's a common capability of other security keys out on the market? Or um, do other security keys not have that either intentionally or, or, or otherwise? Yeah, generally, it's not a capability, or if it is, it's not really meant something something that's meant to be done by the consumers. Um, so with other companies, it, I've always seen like if, if something like this comes up, whether if it's just like a functionality bug or if it's a security issue, then you have to uh, like return the device and get a replacement, which mm -hmm. that's actually something I that happened with U2F0 and it was a huge, a huge pain. I had like a small bug that would cause it like, like not to work anymore. And uh, I had a bunch on Amazon where people purchased it and they like, they get the token and it like wouldn't work because of this bug. And so I had to like get all the stock that I sent to Amazon sent back to me. I had to do a bunch of customer support, replace people's keys. It was, it was a huge pain in the ass for me, for me to do. Um, and so having being able to tell people to like update their keys instead of having to like replace it, like that's a, that's a huge saving for, for us. Um, I know like maybe for like the, the cryptocurrency wallets, like uh, Ledger, Nano S and Trezor, like they, I believe have gone this route as well. So if there's like a bug or security issue, they can, they don't need to actually replace the wallet. Let's be like, just use this update. And so they basically do something very similar. Mm-hmm. I can yeah. definitely uh, see some of the advantages. I know that in the past, YubiKey had uh, a bug and uh, just like you had mentioned, they had a return policy uh, related to the devices impacted by this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of overhead and, and return. And Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a huge cost, especially if you don't like have like kind of like the reverse logistics network in place. And if you're just kind of like running that yourself, it's like it, it's even more... <laughs> Even more of a pain in the ass, I think. Yeah. And so the 
the idea of having an independent hardware device, um, you know, you need to do some of these updates for firmware if the ability exists. Uh, it may not in a lot of devices, but compared to software where software is updated on a regular basis, like an app on your phone, for example, and the operating system on your phone or your laptop, of course, could be updated. Um, there's a lot of advantages to being able to do that. And this reminds me of some of the efforts that are going on right now in the market, in the larger two-factor authentication um, sphere, where there's this move uh, driven by Google to start using phones as security keys. Mm -hmm. And just recently, they've come out with support for using Android phones from Android 7 and up uh, in your Chrome browser to log into your Chrome account. You can use your phone as a security key in, in many scenarios. Um, is this something that you've thought about in terms of how it will interact with hardware security keys? And what are your general thoughts on using a phone as a security key? Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's great. Generally, like having like basically the authenticator built into your device. It's uh, called having like a platform authenticator. Um, I think this is kind of like probably like the future of authentication for like passwordless auth for for most consumers. If it if it does end up working out. Um, so I think kind of like the idea with like the use case for i think there'll still be like a use case for having like an external authenticator basically a security key um basically to be able to like add um new devices so if you like register a security key on your on your computer but you want to add you want to be able to use your phone you just log into your phone use your security key with your phone and it registers the platform authenticator on your phone with with the account that you just so that basically the security key kind of like is, is an easy way to bootstrap adding new authenticators to your account, which oh, is interesting. pretty important because if you lose your phone or you lose your security key, or if your hard drive fails, whatever it may be, you have, you know, have even more options to be able to log back into your account and recover. Mm -hmm. Account recovery at the end of the day is incredibly important right. and incredibly challenging, which is why I think, in my opinion, many services don't get it right or don't try that hard. Right. And of course, if account recovery is not considered, then it can defeat a lot of the benefit of having good login practices yeah. in the first place. Yeah, I think it's also like, just like that thought of account recovery is like probably one of the big reasons for like websites, even considering adding like, U2F as a two-factor auth option. It's like, well, now people will like lose their keys. And but if people have like platform authenticators or it built into their devices and that becomes a lot more common, I think that'll really help like like seeing like the ubiquity of, of FIDO as as a login method for for more and more websites. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in my mind, I see the use of a phone as a security key as extremely exciting in the consumer space, particularly right. where I think spending money on a security key is not something the average internet user uh, will be willing to do or even have the background knowledge right. to understand right. which keys to buy. Um, is this something you're thinking about moving forward with solo keys in terms of specific industries or markets that you might want to focus your products on and how it might interact with changes in um, devices and using phones as security keys. 
Right. Yeah, I think like I guess most of the 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 market or types of people that we've been selling to is like like hobbyists, um, people that are new security or learn about it or get interested somehow. And so it's not too clearly defined to us right now. Um, we are, I guess, trying to see about getting more into like the B2B space or like find businesses where like, you know, the reason to use a security key rather than people's devices a lot more uh, clear. Mm-hmm. Um, I even had, uh, I think we had one um, IT administrator reach out to us about using security keys for, um, like he works at a school, so using security keys for their kids, like age, like K through eight, um, oh, basically great. like as they're starting to like learn how to use accounts, they're not, they don't really, they're not the best at managing their passwords, which is like, I guess the primary use of how they log into their Windows accounts. And so kind of like having like some sort of like a signed cheap uh, security key that you can hand out would be like a simple way for them to to log into their Windows account and not have to worry about managing passwords. Um, yeah, that sounds so, like a great use case, yeah. especially if if uh, young kids in schools uh, don't already have phones worth many hundreds of dollars, buying right. a security key for a fraction of the cost can start to educate them about the importance of account security and all these things. Right. That's really fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. We don't necessarily have like a really like clear, <laughs> I guess, market at this point, but we're still exploring. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Has there been any reaction from other uh, incumbents who sell security keys? One of the things that jumped out to me is that uh, NitroKey is uh, a manufacturer of security right. keys, yep. but they were also one of the top sponsors of your Kickstarter project. Yeah. Uh, is that uh, surprising to you? How did, how did that come about? Um. It wasn't uh, too much of a surprise because I've I've been in touch with uh, the folks at Nitro Key for a while. They caught on to the two F zero project and they didn't. Uh, they mostly made kind of like smart card or uh, encrypted flash drive type devices, and so they haven't really like um, dove into FIDO. And so when they saw like kind of this open source hardware key, they were interested and they actually. Um, commercialize it or they sleep they, they they forked the project and they kind of like improved on it and made their made their own nitro e2f0 if you will so oh wow okay so if you buy their um their u2f device that's actually a fork of uh u2f0 um so they're definitely like still interested for like round two for fido2 um and uh we're, we're very generous and sponsored us on kickstarter um, gave them a shout out and that uh, pretty sure they're planning to kind of do the same thing. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're going to fork the project this time. Now the project's a little bit easier to collaborate on. So we'll be able to kind of like mm-hmm. base both of our security keys on the, on the same code base, ah, which is fantastic. nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. So yeah, nice, nice to be there. They're great. Great to work with. It's always fantastic mm-hmm. to have a collaboration that's productive. So that's really exciting to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, moving forward, uh, Solo Keys is going to be selling a couple of different models. Can you talk briefly about those and then uh, what you have right next coming around the corner? Yeah. 
so from our Kickstarter, we've released kind of like eight different products, which was a pain to manage, but now we're through it. And um, we have these, so we have uh, the normal solo key, which you can get for USB-A or USB-C connectors. You have USB or solo with USB and NFC, which again comes with USB-A or USB-C connectors. And then for any device, you can get like the hacker version, which is kind of like the reprogrammable, reprogrammable device you can use for development or whatever needs that you have. We don't do this for the kind of what we call our secure model. We don't allow people to reprogram it basically for uh, security reasons. Um, what just around the door though, we're working on kind of a, another model. It's still solo, the same technology, but in a lot smaller form factor, we're calling it SOMU, um, kind of named after a similar open source hardware project that had a very small form factor called TOMU. So we've kind of made our own solo version called SOMU. It's basically the same size as like a USB-A connector and like just the connector. And so you fit it right into your USB-A port and then you can leave it there. You don't have to put it on your keychain or whatever. Kind of like the YubiKey's, uh, YubiKey Nano device. Okay, um, great. On this model, we went throughout using capacitive touch buttons so that you don't have the twerking problem. You just kind of like tap it with your finger and uh, that that's it. Yeah. And that is going to be uh, FIDO2 support as well? Yeah, yeah. So it's the same firmware on Solo, uh, all, all the other Solo models. So it's kind of like this new, more compact form factor. Fantastic. Yeah. And if people are interested in uh, learning more about SOMU and the smaller form factor, where should they go to sign up and get updates? Uh, go to uh, crowdsupply.com slash SOMU. I think that's it. And you'll see kind of like our, our update page where you can go to my blog. I think I wrote, posted recently about it. Fantastic. And we'll certainly include all those in the show notes as well. So people can have direct links. Well, Connor, it's been great chatting with you. If um, people are interested in learning um, more about what you're working on or for Solo, what are the places they should go online to reach out and learn more? Uh, feel free to email me directly, reach out to me on Twitter, or you can um, email uh, hello at solokeys.com. And me or someone on my team will see it there. Great. And on, on Twitter, what is the handle they should be looking for? It is uh, at underscore Connor VP. Great. Well, Connor, thanks again for coming on. This was a fantastic time learning about your interesting journey from undergrad and U2F0 all the way through a very successful Kickstarter project with SoloKeys. Appreciate you spending the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. You can find the show notes for today's episode by heading to allthingsoff.com slash podcast and searching for episode one. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation and you'd like to support the show, I would really appreciate a rating or a review in iTunes. I personally read all of the reviews and they really help others to discover the show. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.